trying to tell me how easy it is because um, I still won't know how to do it. Hey, it looks like we got, uh, wow, like 50 people with us. Great. Glad that you're here. I want to kind of give people a, um, a chance to catch up with this, but I want to, kind of an icebreaker tonight. And my icebreaker is uh, I want to give you a couple riddles to try to solve. And my disclaimer is I hate riddles. I hate when somebody says, I got a riddle for you. And I'll tell you why. Because when they tell you the riddle, you always feel like a fool if you don't know the answer to the riddle. And then when they tell you the answer, it's always like, well, you should have known that. It was so obvious. And whoever's telling you the riddle makes you feel like a fool. So I'm going to guess you probably won't know the answer to these unless you've heard them before. And some of you probably have because I just Googled them and got the first three or four at the top of the list. So um, here's a couple uh, riddles for you to think about just as we're sort of uh, warming up tonight and waiting for some more people to join us. Here you go. A man is found lying dead, face down in the middle of the desert. He's wearing a backpack. He appears to have been dead for weeks, yet no one has attempted to cross the desert in months. What happened? And if you know the answer, you're shouting it out right now to a family member. If you don't know the answer, you're not even thinking about it. But here's the answer to the riddle. He jumped out of an airplane and his parachute failed to open. It's kind of a morbid riddle, but there you go. You got the gist. Here's a second riddle. A traveler comes to a fork in the road, which leads to two villages. In one village, everyone always tells the truth. In the second village, everyone always tells a lie. Standing at the fork in the road is a man, but the traveler doesn't know which village he belongs to. The traveler wants to do some business in the village that always tells the truth. What one question can he ask this man and make sure that he goes to the right village? One village always tells the truth. One village always tells a lie. Someone is there to ask a question, but you don't know what village he lives in. What question could you ask? Hmm. Here's the question. Which way to your village? Pretty simple when you hear it, right? Because the guy that always tells a lie is going to point you to the, to, to the other village. The guy that always tells the truth is going to point you to his village. Okay. Here's, a, here, here's an old one. I actually knew this one. Only because I've heard it before. A horse is tied to a 15-foot rope. There's a bale of hay 25 feet away from the horse, yet the horse is able to eat freely from the hay. How is this possible? It's a riddle. It's a conundrum. How is it possible? This is the one you probably know. The horse is tied to a 15-foot rope. But the other end of the rope isn't tied to anything. So he can walk wherever he wants to walk, just dragging the rope with him. Okay, one more. You're getting tired of them. I'm getting tired of them myself. But uh, yeah, see, I thought it'd take four minutes. Here you go. Here's the last one. It's another death riddle. I don't know why so many riddles are wrapped up in death here, but a murderer is condemned to death. He has to choose between three rooms. The first room is filled with raging fires. The second room is filled with assassins with loaded guns. 
The third room is full of lions and tigers that haven't eaten in three years. What is the safest room for him to go to? Safest room for him to choose. Now, if you're paying attention, you have all the information you need to make the correct choice. It's room number three, because if the lions and tigers haven't eaten in three years, they're all dead. Okay, so there you go. There you go. There's there's your three or four riddles. Um, And again, the reason I tell those riddles is to get us thinking along the lines of paying attention. I want to talk to you tonight about paying attention. If you joined us late, I already told you I hate riddles because people always tell me, pay attention and you'll be able to solve it. And I do pay attention and I still can't solve them. So um, we're going to talk tonight about paying attention. And and I want you to think about this. Uh, A couple are sitting at the dining room table for dinner one night. The husband's reading a newspaper, um, has it up above his face. The wife is there and she's just pouring her heart out about what a day she's had and all the things that she's concerned about and anxious about. And and she's just pouring her heart out and her husband doesn't say a word. He never lowers the newspaper. And finally, she gets so frustrated, she can't take it anymore. And she goes, I hate the fact that you won't pay attention to me. And without lowering the newspaper, he says, I am paying attention to you. I can tell you everything you've said to me. And he spits back to her, every single thing that she has said to him. Ladies, would that be enough? Would that be okay with you? If you had someone that's kind of like a tape recorder, just told you everything that you said. No, wouldn't be enough for us men either, by the way. I don't want somebody just to be able to repeat what I say. I want someone who's engaged with me. I want someone who's paying attention to me who's making eye contact, putting the paper down, look at me in the face. I heard about a little boy who was trying to tell his dad something. His dad was busy working and said, Dad, I want you to listen to me. And the dad said, I am listening. He said, well, listen to me with your face. The, The power of attention is an incredible power. It's an incredible force. You know, one of the weird things about what we're doing right now Uh, The weird things about, for me at least, this is me, this virtual church stuff. Again, I'm so thankful we can do it. But it is so, not just weird, it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult to speak. Right now I'm speaking to my laptop. On Sundays I'm speaking to a camera, and I have no idea who's paying attention. There are uh, right now 60-some people logged on. I'm going to guess not everybody's paying attention. I've never watched the church service in my home because I've always been in these last couple of weeks. I've been doing it, but I know in the house, it's really tough. You know, you got kids running around. You've got the wheel of fortunes on right now. You know, it's just really hard to pay attention. So I don't know who's paying attention and I'm not getting any kind of feedback. I told you before, I'm not good enough at multitasking to be able to look over here at the, um, the comments. Um, I'll just get distracted. So I don't know who's paying attention, but I will tell you this. When I'm preaching on a regular Sunday morning, I know exactly who's paying attention. Now, I've told you before, I can see people while you see me. When I'm preaching, I see everybody. And there's something really encouraging about seeing people who are locked in, who are paying attention. And I know who they are. 
And I'll find myself making eye contact with the same people because they're making eye contact with me. Paying attention is a really powerful thing. We're in this uh, study, for lack of a better word, these Wednesday night uh, lessons, and I've entitled them, that's what he said, just because I really wanted to focus on Jesus for a couple Wednesday nights here. And again, I am really going to encourage you since this is this format, which unfortunately is more of a lecture than anything. Um, I really would encourage you to post your thoughts in the comments. I really miss being able to hear your insights into passages because so many times I'm teaching something or I'm sitting in a class and someone else says something. I thought, wow, I never thought of that. As many times as I've read that passage, I've never looked at it from that position. I've never thought of that. How have I missed that? Uh, so I, I, I miss not being able to interact that way. But if you've got some insights, post them in the comments. And I know that you do. Um, last week, we, um, uh, by the way, you did that last week and it was great. Last week, we talked about a miracle that Jesus performed on a leper. Remember, the guy came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. We're going to be in John chapter 9 tonight. And we're going to kind of read through, walk through a, a fairly long passage of Scripture. So you're going to need uh, your Bible. Uh, open up your app or whatever. But get a Bible. It'll be a lot uh, more engaging if you're able to, to follow along in John chapter 9. Uh, Jesus is going to uh, perform another miracle. And there's a lot of similarities between the miracle we're looking at tonight and the one where Jesus healed the leper. But there's also some real differences. Maybe you can uh, kind of identify some of the differences in, in these two miracles. Um, and, you know, I, I started this whole thing with the, with the pay attention icebreaker. Pay attention to not just what Jesus is saying and doing. Pay attention to what's going on around him here. In and of itself, this is a really great story. It's a nice story. But if you're really paying attention to the context of everything that's going on, it's a powerful story. And I'll tell you again, I think there's a reason that the Holy Spirit wants us to be in John chapter 9 tonight. I think if we pay attention, we're going to learn some things about Jesus. And we're going to learn some things about ourselves. And we're going to learn some things about our relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to read through the miracle, read through the, the, the text. And we're going to stop as we go and make some observations. Um, John chapter 9. We're in John chapter 9. Maybe my producer can... Put that in the comments. John chapter 9, and that's where we're going to stay the whole night. John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus was walking along. Okay, time out. <laughs> I said we were going to stop from time to time. That's all. That's as far as we're going for now. We're going to stop right there. As Jesus was walking along. Where's he going? I don't know. Where's he been? I don't know. He's just. Walking along. He's not at his job. He's not in the temple. He's not in the synagogue. He's not on a mission trip. He's not on a service project. He's just walking along. I am convinced it's true in my life, and I bet it's true in yours as well. I'm convinced that most of the times that God opens up opportunities in our lives, it's when we're just walking along. It's when we're just in the daily routine of our lives. I'm just, I'm just going through life. It's when God 
puts opportunities in front of us that we didn't see coming. It's when God puts people in our lives, when we weren't expecting to see people put in our lives. God wants to know, will you do my work when you're at your work? Will you do my work when you're at the grocery store? Will you do my work when you're at school? Will you do my work? Will you follow my will when you're fishing with a friend, playing golf, when you're on a date, when you're just hanging out at home, uh, as you're just walking along? As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. John chapter 9, verse 2, teacher, his disciples asked him, how was this man born blind? Was it a result of his own sins or those of his parents? That seems like such a strange question to us, isn't it? Jesus sees a man who is blind from birth, and the disciples then notice the man too, and they say, okay, teacher, this man is blind. Whose fault is it? Whose sin caused it? His sin or his parents' sin? Because there was a supposition in the first century that if someone is suffering, there has to be sin involved. And if this man is born blind, someone is at fault. Someone had to sin. Now, there's some discussion about, is it this man's sin or is it his parents' sin? Because somebody sinned. That's obvious. So not only is this guy dealing with the handicap of being sightless, He's also dealing with a social stigma of everybody believing, you know, it's, you kind of got what you deserve. Because this is a result of sin. So we're not going to feel too empathetic with you because sin's involved here. Verse 3. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. He was born blind so the power of God could be seen in him. All of us must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent me because there's little time left before the night falls and all work comes to an end. But while I'm still here in the world, I am the light of the world. If I were one of Jesus's disciples and I asked that question, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus, first he answers the question, nobody sinned. And then he goes into this thing, um, all of us must quickly carry out the tasks assigned by the one who sent me because there's little time left before the night falls. Work will come to an end. I'd be like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? I thought we were talking about this blind guy. Now you're talking about light and night and dark and I don't really understand what you're saying, Jesus. But I think what Jesus is telling these disciples, and I think what he's telling us, is there is a, a time limitation on some of these things. We need to be doing the work of God. We need to be doing the will of God while we have the opportunity. Because the time's going to come when we're not going to have the opportunity. So I think Jesus is saying we need to take advantage of doing the work of God, doing the will of God, while we have the chance. Here's my movie reference for tonight. If you're old enough, you'll remember the old Blues Brothers movie, the original with Aykroyd and Belushi. They're these two bumbling musicians who go on this comedic quest 
And one of the reoccurring gags in the movie is every time someone stops him and says, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You remember what their stock answer was? We're on a mission from God. And of course, the joke of the whole movie was God would never entrust anything important to two guys like this, right? We're on a mission from God. Question. Are we on a mission from God? Because the world will try to tell you, no. No, you're not on a mission from God. You're not here to do God's work. You're here to get ahead. You're here to, to, to prosper. You're here to, to be, you know, just kind of a good citizen, pay your taxes. You're just here to exist. No, you're not on a mission from God. Most people in the world would tell you, in the words of Mike Tyson, that's ludicrous, simply ludicrous. But the truth is, we are on a mission from God. By the way, look back at verse 4 of John chapter 9. If you got your Bible, notice what verse 4 does not say. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus does not say, I must quickly carry out the tasks assigned by God. And he doesn't say, some of you must quickly carry out the tasks assigned by God. What he says is, all of us must quickly carry out the tasks assigned by God. It's a pretty significant statement that he makes. So here's a question for you. Are you created to carry out the tasks assigned by God? Were you created to do the will and the work of God? I want you to put that question in your back pocket for a, just a second. We'll come back to it, but let's check out the miracle. John chapter 9, verse 6, talking about Jesus. Then he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and smoothed the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, is this the same man, the beggar? Some said he was, and others said, no, but he surely looks like him. And the beggar kept saying, I am the same man. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and smoothed it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash off the mud. I went and washed, and now I can see. Okay, there's more to the story, but let's, let's hit the pause button just a second. Let's do a little bit of recap. Here again, we see Jesus noticing someone that no one else notices. We see Jesus paying attention to someone that no one else seems to pay attention to. This man, this beggar, this blind guy, his whole life he's been ignored. I mean, he's blind. He's a beggar. You know, he's just used to people not seeing him. He's used to people ignoring him. I don't know if you ever feel that way or not. I don't know if you ever feel like, man, just, you know, I'm, I'm, I just don't amount to very much. I, you ever thought, my life is so boring. I don't know if your life is boring or not. I guess maybe it is. Mine's pretty boring, to be quite honest. I. Nothing real exciting about my life. But I will tell you this. 
Jesus doesn't think your life is boring. Jesus is incredibly interested in your life. In fact, every minute detail of your life is fascinating to Jesus. He notices those things. He pays attention to those things. Um, he does the, to, to uh, this blind man. And, and so the disciples do as well. Jesus walks up to this man who everyone else has been ignoring and disciples say, okay, who sinned, his parents or him? And Jesus says, nobody sinned. You're, you're not paying attention here. God has not abandoned this guy. In fact, this is exactly the kind of guy that God is looking for. The kind of person who, who doesn't deserve what God has to give. Okay, the, the miracle has happened. This man now has sight, but the story is far from over. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, then they took the man to the Pharisees. And I'm not sure why they took the man to the Pharisees, but uh, trouble is about to ensue. Now, as it happened, Jesus had healed the man on a Sabbath. Uh-oh, that's not good. That's going to cause a problem. Verse 15, the Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them. He smoothed the mud over my eyes, and when it was washed away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man Jesus is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. So the Pharisees get together, and they interview the guy, and they go on this fact-finding mission. And what they find is, hey, this guy Jesus... He just broke the Sabbath. Now, I want to be sure you understand, Jesus did not break the Sabbath. Not at all. What the Pharisees were, were good at doing was taking God's law and then building all these other laws around it, adding all these amendments on to God's law. In fact, I'm told that there were 39 different Pharisee-induced laws around the Sabbath. And one of those uh, add-ons, one of those amendments was you can't knead or mix anything on the Sabbath. So when Jesus made mud out of water and dirt, he was mixing it together. Therefore, he broke the Sabbath. Therefore, he was not doing the work of God. Therefore, Jesus, this guy, had to be outside the will of God, as far as the Pharisees are concerned. Now, just a minute ago, I asked you, uh, are we created to do the will of God? And I'll ask you again, are we created to do the work and the will of God? Now, this is a Bible study, right? You got your Bibles open. I'm a preacher asking the question, are we created to do the work and the will of God? And your answer is, Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes, we are. We are created to do the work and the will of God. And you're exactly right. We most certainly are. So the question is, what's the will of God? Now, if you're a Pharisee, the Pharisees will tell you what the will of God is. Keep the rules. It's as simple as that. If you keep the rules, you're doing the work of God. If you break the rules, you're not doing the work of God and you're not in the will of God. And then Jesus comes along and he says, no, you're not paying attention. 
you have this legalistic, narrow-minded view. No, the very essence of what God is about is love. The very essence is love. That's where it starts. You know, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love people. That's where it starts. You know, when you look around at this blind man, it is amazing how unloved he was. It's amazing how unnoticed he was. He's blind from birth, which means he's been a beggar since birth. He's been begging probably in the same place day after day, week after week, year after year. Look back at verses 8 and 9. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, is this the same man, that beggar? Some said he was and others said no, but he, he surely looks like him. Does anyone else see that as incredibly sad? Here are his neighbors who have undoubtedly walked by this man day after day after day, maybe for years. And now he's been healed and now he can see and they're like, who is that guy? He looks familiar. You think that's the beggar that's been here all this time? No, he looks like him, but I'm not sure. Yeah, there's something familiar about that guy. I think that's a heartbreaking statement that John makes there. That they don't even recognize him. They can't even identify him. That's how unnoticed this man was. Again, our capacity to pay attention, or to, and our capacity to not pay attention, I should say, it's staggering. It's amazing what we don't pay attention to. I'll take a commercial break here um, and, and, and give you a challenge. It's not really a challenge. Um, sometime, don't do it right now, but sometime Google the invisible gorilla. And some of you are familiar with that. It's, a, it's 20 years ago. This guy did a study about paying attention. And it's a YouTube video about... Um, Six or eight people, half of them are dressed in white, half of them are dressed in black, and they're throwing basketballs to each other. And the challenge is count how many times the white team passes the ball. And they start the video, and the white team's kind of moving around and passing this basketball. And in the middle of the video, a gorilla, a guy in a gorilla suit, walks into the middle of the group, beats his chest, and then slowly walks off camera. And at the end of the video, it's only like a minute long. Um, the question is, how many times did the white team pass the ball? And they give the answer. And then they ask, did you see the gorilla? And I have shown that video to a lot of different groups. I was trying to figure out how to show it tonight, but I couldn't do it. Um, and it is amazing how many people say, what gorilla? I never saw him. So check out The Invisible Gorilla. Once you see it, you can't unsee it, and you can't imagine how, how anybody would miss it. But uh, you know, show it to somebody who's not watching this, and you might be uh, surprised. But uh, yeah, our, uh, our capacity to not pay attention is staggering. So commercial break over. Back together. Here's another question for you. I'm talking about paying attention. Are you paying attention to God? And I'm not sure you've ever thought of it that way. I, I know you love him, and I know you worship him, 
Those aren't the words I'm using. My question is, are you paying attention to God? Are you listening for that soft, still voice? Are you paying attention to his word? Not just reading it to get through a chapter. I mean, really meditating on it and praying over it. Are you paying attention to obedience? Are are you paying attention? And then, you know, I guess the follow-up question is sort of obvious. Are you paying attention to other people? Are you noticing those people that uh, maybe everybody else just seems to to look past and and pass by? You know, when, when someone is really paying attention to you, you get the sense that you're the most important person, at least in the room, to them. We've all been talking to people who have been, you know, stuck on their phones. And they're talking to you, and they're like, yeah, but they're looking at their phone. And you're telling them something kind of serious. They're like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you know, and, they're sitting there, and I'm like, come on. Now put your phone away. We're talking here. Are we paying attention to other people? Now, Jesus is, is paying attention to this blind man for sure. Everybody else has ignored him. Um, the, the Pharisees decide they're going to call this guy's parents in because they want to get to the bottom of this. Look at verse 18. I'm still in John chapter 9, verse 18. The Jewish leaders wouldn't believe he'd been blind, so they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he see? His parents replied, we know this is our son. They recognize him, that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. He's old enough to speak. Ask him for yourself. So mom and dad aren't going out on a limb here. And the very next verse tells us why they're not going out on a limb. Verse 22, they said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough to speak for himself. Ask him. Interesting. This guy has spent his entire life being ignored. And now everyone is paying attention to him. Starts with Jesus. Jesus pays attention to him. Then the disciples pay attention to him. And then the neighbors notice him. And then the Pharisees notice him. And now the Pharisees are actually about to ask him, not ask him, but bring him back in for a a second interview. They have an agenda. They want to discredit Jesus. Look at verse 24, John chapter 9. So for the second time, they call in the man who'd been blind and told him, give glory to God by telling the truth, because we know Jesus is a sinner. Verse 25. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied. But I know this, I was blind, and now I can see. I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is I used to be blind. Now I can see. Now you have an encounter with Jesus, and you lose some of the fear that some other people might have. Uh, you, you, You gain some confidence that maybe you didn't have before. Verse 26, but what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man explained. I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? A little bit of sarcasm going on here. Verse 28. That that didn't go over very well, by the way. 
Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know anything about him. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know anything about him. Well, God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Never since the world began has anyone been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do it. You were born in sin, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. Well, maybe the greatest irony in this entire story is that these religious people in Jesus' day, these guys who were so obsessed with the coming Messiah, I mean, that was their focus. That was what they talked about. That was what they prayed for. That was their obsession. The Messiah is coming back. And when the Messiah walks right into their town, they don't even notice him. They're not paying attention. Even though they would have known the Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah prophesies it twice, that the Messiah would give sight to the blind. Now here's this guy who gives sight to the blind, and all the Pharisees want to do is is destroy him. Well, verse 35, we come to the conclusion of the story. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? Because I would like to. You have seen him, Jesus said. Remember, this guy hadn't seen a lot of people in his lifetime, but he's seen Jesus. You've seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, the man replied. I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. In this encounter, John very carefully paints a picture of this guy's progression in his uh, relationship and in his appreciation of Jesus. And if you follow the text, you see this guy sort of growing and understanding and you see that light bulb start to come on in his mind. It just gets brighter and brighter. Let me share with you my high tech graphics. It actually starts in verse eight. I hope you can see this. Uh, Verse eight, the neighbors say, how is it that you can see? And this man's response is simply the man they call Jesus. That's all he knows. I just know his name. I don't know anything else about him. This man they call Jesus, it all begins there. He has this Jesus encounter, and then it moves on. In verse 17, the Pharisees say, who is the one who opened your eyes? Now this guy's moved to another level. I think he must be a prophet. Now, first he knew him as Jesus. Now I think he must be a prophet. There's something special about him. I put him in the category of prophet. Somebody special. And then you move on to verse 33. The man says this about Jesus. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do it. Now he's saying he's not just a prophet. He's someone who's been sent from God. He's not just a guy named Jesus. And he's not just a prophet. I think he's someone sent from God. And then finally, verse 38, he makes that final step and recognizes Jesus as Lord, acknowledges Jesus as Lord. And the text says he believes and he worships him. 
he, he goes from a guy named Jesus, that's all I know, to a prophet, somebody that, that's really wise, to, no, if somebody's sent from God to Lord, to belief, to worship. This story, this interaction that Jesus has with this man, it's so interesting. You know, the disciples look at this man and all they see is a theological question. Who sinned? Him or his parents? The neighbors look at this guy and all they see is an eyesore. He's the beggar. The Pharisees look at the guy. They see a problem. Jesus looks at the guy. And he sees an opportunity to do the work of God. He sees an opportunity to do the will of God. And then you get to the most pivotal verse in the entire story. Verse 39. Then Jesus told him, I've come to judge the world. I've come to give sight to the blind and show those who think they see that they're blind. Jesus said, I've come to judge the world. When you have an encounter with Jesus, when when Jesus shows up in your life, you've got a choice to make. And God allows you to make that choice, but you can't stay neutral. You just can't stay neutral. You've got to either say, yeah, he's, he's not just a man and he's not just a prophet. And he's somebody more than just one sent from God. He's, he's Lord. Belief. Worship. An encounter with Jesus demands a response. It it demands a, um, I'm either going to, I'm either going to dig more into this. I'm going to start my belief system. I'm going to start looking and studying and praying or no, I'm not on a mission from God. No, I'm not going to pay attention to God. Um, No. I know a lot of people who they're, Jesus is just Jesus. He's a guy named Jesus. And I know people say, no, he's a good guy. He's got great teaching. He's a prophet. He he works to live by. And then some people think, well, he's little more than that. He's he's sent from God. Now, I'm not going to worship him. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to change my lifestyle. But yeah, he's someone special. But when you have an encounter with Jesus, you're going to have to make a decision. Is he going to be my Lord? Am I going to obey him? Am I going to believe? Am I going to worship? Jesus wants us to fall in love with him. And, And he's noticing. He's noticing us. He's noticing what's going on in our lives right now. Now, who is he to you, I guess, is the question. That's all I got for tonight. I hope at least we've, uh, between me and everybody that's making some comments, that we've we've, uh, uh, at least uh, spurred some uh, conversation and some thoughts. I want to end with a prayer and then stick with me. I want to give you a couple updates before I sign off. Father, we are so humbled when we think of and read about um, just the way Jesus interacted with everyone especially those that no one noticed, especially those who are marginalized. And Father, I pray that you give us those same eyes. And I would pray that you'd give us those same hearts. 
I know for myself and probably for an awful lot of us that are together here virtually, uh, we are not the marginalized. We are not the, the handicapped. Uh, we are the super blessed. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, to use those blessings to do the work and the will of God. And I pray that you would help us just to, to pay attention to what's going on around us and sometimes right inside of our own homes, the way that ways that we are able to do the work and the will of God. Thank you for the grace that you give us. Thank you for the forgiveness that you continue to show us because of the blood of Jesus. And thank you especially for him. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Hey, a uh, couple quick updates. Um, I, first, I've got to thank you for the way that 